we are on our third week of paying attention to the work of the Reformation, sort of marching towards Reformation Sunday, which will be October 29th. But as we do that, we're noticing the different solas of the Reformation. And remember, like we talked about last week, the word sola means only or alone. And so these continue to be the themes of the Reformation, and we'll see them continue to fill our sanctuary here. So last week, our theme was grace. And so we have that piece up this week, that sola gratia piece um, that Lisa has put together alongside of Susan's piece. And this week, uh, it's sola Christus is our theme, or Christ alone. Um, and this is a Susan's rendering of, of, that, um, of that theme, and then we'll see that. Um, come into play in our sanctuary next week. So these are hopefully helping to populate our imagination as we think about what's going on in Philippians, as we think about what's going on in our world, as we think about the past and the future of the church. I hope that these images are helping to capture us and to fill our imagination with things that are possible. The second lesson this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, Verses 5 to 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. And being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, perhaps some of you heard the story this week on NPR about how NASA in the 1970s put together a team of people to create a soundtrack for planet Earth. And they sent this collection etched onto a record into space where it is free to be encountered over the next billion years. And Carl Carl Sagan was one of the individuals who helped to spearhead this project. And in the team that they put together, he was hoping to create something that was representative of this planet. And it included music and multiple languages. It had greetings in all sorts of languages. I don't remember how many um, that covered the face of the earth. And it was almost lost into the archives after it was sent. And the interest around this record only surfaced recently when, because of the the whole um, campaign that you can launch in Kickstarter, they uh, launched a Kickstarter campaign to release this record on Earth so that they would actually be able to re-digitize it and you can actually own it and have it in your home. 
And shortly after they launched this campaign, they had more than a million dollars in the first day of the Kickstarter campaign, and it just came into completion this month, which is why there was that brief report on it through the radio station. And people who had ordered it finally got it in their mailbox. And when I heard this story, I was captivated by it and interested because I wondered, how do you capture what you want to say to another world? How is it that you bring into being what you want to put into an anthology, into a message, into a communication that will then be delivered to another cosmos? What do you put into that? Well, it turns out that most of the record itself was music. There were some formal greetings in different languages, but mostly this record contained music. And not just the music that we might hear on the radio airwaves, it actually contained all sorts of different music that people would sing in different cultures as part of their daily routine. So it contained a girl's initiation song in Zaire, a men's house song in New Guinea, And then there were musics from different times. They had Bach's Brandenburg Concerto No. 2 in F and Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And then there were other things like Chuck Berry and Louis Armstrong. All together, 90 minutes of music. And like I said, in addition to the music, there were also these greetings from the various languages. But the bulk of the record contained music, 90 minutes of music. So how is it that you capture what you want to say to another world? How is it that you put that idea into reality and to send it over and across the cosmos? Well, the people of Philippi who were reading this letter that Paul had written them while he was in prison were actually reading some of Paul's reflections on this very same question. It wasn't an interstellar question, though. It wasn't an intergalactic question, but it was still a question of cosmic proportion. What does the person of Jesus mean in the world as we know it, Paul was asking How does the life of Jesus matter, not just in our current community, not just in the current line of history as we know it, not just in the world as we know it, as it exists around the Mediterranean world, but how does the life of Jesus matter on a cosmic scale? How does this one life impact the actual course of the universe? That is the question that Paul is asking here in Philippians 2. And keep in mind, too, that the relativity that we find in our culture would have been just as common in the ancient world as well. 
The ancient world was diverse religiously. It was diverse intellectually. There were different ways of making meaning, different cultures at play, different religions and different temples that would have been spread out across. It wasn't unlikely for some people to worship at one religious temple and for others to actually refrain from worship altogether like the Stoics would have kept to themselves. They wouldn't have entered into that baseline of religion. So similar trends would have been common as we find them in our culture today. And so the question remained for this first century church, just as it remains for us today, what does this one life mean in the course of human history? Does it just matter for us? If you put yourselves in the minds of of the Philippians, does it just matter for them? Or does it matter for everyone? Is it of individual consequence? Is it just sort of for those who choose to participate in the culture and the work of Jesus? Or is it of universal consequence? Does this one life actually change the course of human history, not just for me, but for everyone? Not just for those who orient themselves around the person of Jesus, but for every human being who has come to live. Those are some of the questions that Paul has here as he's working through Philippians 2. And keep in mind that Philippians 2, and actually this part of Philippians particularly, is actually a great song. We don't know how it was sung, we don't know the music behind it, but from the way that it is written, both in the Greek scripture and the way that it is translated into English, we get the sense that this is a hymn that was sung in the ancient church. And so this is, this is God's great song Paul is helping us to make sense of. And so for Paul, as he puts these pieces together, he's suggesting that the life of Jesus enters into the world like music. Not just for some, but for all. If there is music playing in a room, it is very hard to choose to unhear it. It is there. Not just for those who have ears to hear, but for all who encounter it. For Paul and for us, the life of Jesus is the hymn that is played over and over again on the soundtrack that has been sent to us from the heart of God, showing us everything that we need to know about who God is in the world. This beautiful piece from Philippians that Jesus is made in human likeness, that he has been found in human form, meaning that he's taken on all of what it means to be human. It's not just that he exists that way on the outside, but that it's actually who he is and part of his identity but that he did so not trying to exploit the deity, that is not trying to empty the deity, to turn God into some sort of a celebrity, to make God only work for him and his own purposes, but instead he was obedient. Obedient even to the point of death, and then the scripture goes on very clearly, even death on a cross. This very base and embarrassing and judgmental, human death, 
that Jesus found himself subject to. And therefore, because of that, that God highly exalted him so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That was not only a hymn that was sung in the ancient church, but it was the creed that was practiced, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in Greek, there is no is, it's only Jesus Christ, Lord. Those words all put together, that that is the confession that then the church makes. And that this, in fact, is what the church claims more than anything else that God has chosen. In light of everything that can be said about God, this, this Philippians 2 passage, is what God has chosen to say to the world. This is God's 90 minutes of music soundtrack. The song, the soundtrack that God has sent to us. Well, my guess is that the Voyager soundtrack was sent into the cosmos for a purpose. And you can read a little bit about this if you Google it, because they did record some of the thoughts of the committee that put this work together. And you can see that when they launched this soundtrack, they were hoping to communicate that there is a world outside in the, in, uh, in the cosmos and that that world desires relationship and friendship. So the reason of the Voyager soundtrack was to know and to be known. And somehow through that knowing to be changed. Somehow through that relationship to be changed. And this, in fact, is the same as the person of Jesus Christ. That we are known and that God desires to be known. And that through that relationship that we can, in fact, be changed, that we can be changed. But there's a difference, too, between the Voyager report, obviously, and the person of Christ. And that difference is also captured in this great hymn that Paul writes in Philippians 2. Because keep in mind that the, that the anthology that was put together by this committee that did the Voyager uh, soundtrack, that this was a report. It was a collection of everything that was sort of across human history, and it was a report of those things. But the person of Jesus is not just a report of who God is, but an actual living being who entered into the course and the trajectory of human history. And not only that, but who suffered and died. Who allowed himself to be changed by what he encountered in the world of being human. God didn't just come to sort of stand on the outside and share with us who God is. But God actually allowed his heart to be changed. 
as he entered into the course of human history. God actually allowed his heart to be subject unto suffering and death, and even the most embarrassing death possible, death on a cross. That's everything that we need to know about God. That we worship not only the God who has come to be with us, but the God who enters into every piece of our suffering, even the most embarrassing piece of our suffering. There God is, and is made known, and is present. There is one more outlying question for those who are wondering about what this story of Jesus tells us. And maybe that those would be wondering as they encountered theoretically this peace that had been sent into the world by the voyager. Does the information that has been given, does it bear the testimony that the being who sent it is good? Through the life of Jesus, do we learn that God is good? That, I I find, is the real question. The question of does God exist? No one really seems to be beating down doors about whether that question matters. But the question, is God good? is still a question that matters in our culture as it mattered in the first century, as it matters in every step along the way. Because I don't know what you discover in the 21st century, but I certainly discover that folks aren't just interested in worshiping a God for the sake of worshiping a God, but they are interested in is there a real source of goodness within the world, and if there is, what is that? And friends, as followers of Jesus, we have the greatest gift to be able to give the world as we can focus people around this Philippians 2 passage to say that in everything that God wanted to say to the world, he wanted to say that God is good. And here is how God is able to define and illustrate that goodness. And Paul uses this beautiful word here, that he emptied himself. Now to empty himself, that word kenosis, it means to empty everything within him that was not of the purpose of God. To somehow put himself in alignment with all that was not his desire, but that which was God's desire. He releases himself and takes on the form of a slave. And it's very clear in Greek, we do have this strong word, slave. One who is mastered not by one's own desires, but is mastered by another. And here we have somehow this amazing reality of being a Christian that we have somehow forgotten 
And by that, I don't mean maybe those of us in this room, but that we have lost sight of in our culture, and that is that goodness exists in releasing itself. It exists in its open hands and its letting go. And that is the God that we worship. Solus Christus. Only Christ. He emptied himself. And the release was for the whole purpose of humanity to then be brought into the context of his very life. The release was for the purpose of us knowing just how loved we are. The release was for the purpose of us knowing just how good God is. And this, more than anything else, we as the church have the ability to say, this is what shapes human history more than any other event that has come to pass. This real person of Jesus Christ who lived in, her, in history the real person of Jesus Christ who offers himself to us so that we can have not only an understanding of who God is, but that we can have solidarity in our suffering with God himself. And that gives us courage. It gives us freedom. It doesn't come from any other place but from that source that because we are so convinced of our belovedness, because we are so convinced that God is good, because we are so convinced that God is in solidarity with our own suffering, therefore we can live for the world because we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. It's out of that that we have the freedom to engage, that we have the freedom to love. We can do that as a response to this love that comes so fiercely at us. So no wonder that Philippians 2 came as a song. Because it is so hard to capture all of those ideas without the aid of something as transcendent and beautiful as music. So as we enter into our next hymn, I would invite us to reflect on this beautiful text of Philippians 2. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much for this song of Philippians 2, how you emptied yourself, taking on the form of a slave to become obedient, even to the point of the most embarrassing death possible. And yet that was for the sake of solidarity and suffering, that we might have the same mind as you in the way that we live our lives. So we ask that we would be able to do that. We ask that you would overpower us with your goodness and with the story of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand.